Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for dropping into Project Management Office Hours. We're broadcasting live today from Phoenix Business Radio X studio in Tempe, Arizona. Our show is sponsored by the PMO Squad. Where advancing your project management best practices is our number one priority. I'm your host, Piabo Joe, and I'm super excited today to kick off this new show with our special guest, Jill Smith. Welcome, Jill. Thanks for having me. Now, before we get started, uh, since this is the first show, I wanted to give a big thank you to Karen Nowicki and the Business Radio X community for having me become part of the family. So thank you, Karen. Also, I want to take a moment to introduce myself to our listeners because I'm new to you and new to Phoenix and wanted to make sure you had a good understanding of who I am. Before I get into that, though, I wanted to share with our listeners that we're tracking on Twitter today. So if you tweet out a question, uh, tag it with hashtag PMO Joe, we'll get your question or comment on air, either for Jill or myself. And really, it's a way for us to be an interactive show to make sure that it's not just us having a discussion, but we're discussion with you, our listeners. So at PMO Joe is kind of the stage name, right? That's my professional uh, name and, and my business, the PMO Squad. But at home, right, I'm, I'm dad to four kids. Uh, we're in elementary, middle, and high school, ages 8 through 14. Uh, and I've got an amazing wife, Alyssa, who's very supportive of everything we've done as we've moved here to Phoenix. The family wouldn't be complete without our two giant golden doodles, Charlie and Jackson. So uh, that rounds us out. And, and we moved here in July uh, before the school year started last year from Atlanta, Georgia. We had uh, been in Atlanta for on and off 20 years and decided it was time for a move. Uh, so there wasn't any big job move or anything that pushed us here. It was really to have a new adventure. So we've fallen in love with the Phoenix area. Community has been great. We have the kids in all their different activities, baseball, softball, taekwondo. Uh, and we love the trails, all the hiking that we have out here. We're from upstate New York originally, the Albany, New York, New York area. All my family is still back there. So we're suffering through our two days of winter uh, yesterday and today. Uh, 64, 65 degrees, and, and I, it actually rained yesterday. Uh, so for all the snowbirds up in New York, I'm sorry that uh, you don't get to enjoy this great weather. But we do look forward to your visits. I've got a lot of visitors coming in March and April. So professionally, I kind of started out as a project manager way back when, and, and I didn't even know I was a project manager. Right? I was just doing work. And a boss at one point asked me, said, hey, Joe, how's the project going? I, I didn't even know it was a project. Uh, and that started the journey on to my career. And, and I found out that I'm really just a natural born project manager. Some people are salesmen or musicians or artists or athletes. It's just the way they're born. And for me, it was project management. So I, I worked my way up the ladder, right? Junior project manager up through uh, a program manager and eventually into executive director of PMO for Fortune 100 companies and regional healthcare companies, managing you know project portfolio budgets up to $600 million. So it, it just is who I am. But after working for great companies like Textron and Cessna Aircraft, Bell Helicopter, Wellstar Health System, and more, 
I realized I was only helping the company where I was working, right? I didn't have a chance to help more people with project management. So that's when I started the PMO squad. And March 5th, uh, or rather March 3rd of this year will be our five-year anniversary. So we've kind of gotten over the hump of, are you a company or are you just doing this by yourself? Uh, We really enjoy it. We're a domestic provider across the U.S. with uh, headquarters in Atlanta and our second location out here in Phoenix. Now, in a couple of months, uh, I'm going to be turning 50. So as I've gotten more gray hairs in my beard, my personality has kind of changed a little bit more to be more reflective and supportive for those around me. It's no longer just uh, what's in it for Joe, but it's more of a how can I lift as I climb and, and help others. Part of my life really has been uh, shaped by the mentors that have been a big part of it. Going back to you know, youth sports and beyond, people like Craig Baker, Coach Gold, Dennis Dickinson, uh, Chuck Licurdo, Benny Peak, Bob King, Gary Cantrell, Sue Ron Shagan, and others, they really have been mentors in my life that have really helped me understand the power of mentoring and how it can influence those who are trying to advance in their careers or just even personally. So I've become active in mentoring. I started in back in Atlanta with Destiny's Daughters of Promise, helping middle-aged girls get a perspective. Maybe they're not getting at home, uh, but getting access to somebody who is a business owner and, and how they too can have that as a dream to go start their own business. And then professionally with project management, uh, PMI Atlanta, the Project Management Institute's Atlanta chapter has a formal mentoring program. So I did several waves of mentoring with them. For my own company, though, with the PMO squad, we wanted to give back as well. So we have developed a veterans project management mentoring program where we pair veterans who are aspiring to get careers in the civilian world as project managers with PMP certified project managers across the United States and actually across the world. We have a mentor up in Canada and we have a mentee that's currently deployed in the Middle East. Uh, We have 19 states represented. We have 15 mentors uh, active today uh, with the goal to get up to 25 by the end of the year. And we do those mentoring waves quarterly. So each quarter we add a new set of 15 into the program. So if you're interested in about how to be a sponsor for that program or be a mentor, or also if you're a veteran listening in, uh, you can go out to the PMO Squad website. There's a link on the top for the mentoring program, and we would love to have you sign up. We have two great partners in that program, Vets to PM. Eric Wright is their CEO. He's the leader of that organization. And Vets to PM helps transitioning veterans get the training they need, as well as career services and job placement to help them get those positions, as well as veterans to work, another organization that works with veterans to get them the training and job skills they need to get placed in civilian careers. So the PMO squad partnering with those organizations, I think we've built a really great program. Uh, Lastly, I'd say it's been a really busy week for me, so I'm glad that I could squeeze the show in. Uh, Last Friday, I was a guest on the PM Happy Hour podcast. So thank you to Kim and Kate for having me as a guest. That show is going to be live here, I believe, in the next week or two. So I look forward to that. And I'd love to return the favor and have you guys on as a guest the show uh, in the coming months. Tuesday, I was down at Galvanize doing a lunch and learn for the AC Tech Council, where we were talking about how to help organizations set up project management 
it was fantastic. Standing room only crowd. Uh, great response back from everybody. So we're grateful to be able to participate and give back to the community. And thank you to Conceptually Social, who put on a great spread with Taco Tuesday, Galvanize for hosting, and then Steve, Brian, Lauren, and everybody from the AZ Tech Council. Yesterday, I was able to uh, host a webinar for a firm up in Boston. So thank you to PMO Partners with Brian and Tricia and everything you do up in the Northeast to help advance the project management profession. And I'm grateful to just have been a part of it. So I look forward for us to continue to work together. And then finally, next Tuesday here in Phoenix, I'll be speaking about project management at Phoenix Startup Week. So very excited uh, to be able to help our burgeoning companies, the smaller companies, organizations who really don't gravitate towards project management to help them know that there are solutions out there uh, that we can provide for them at an affordable cost that really makes sense for what they're trying to do. So that's a little bit about me, Joe Puzz, or PMO Joe, and who I am, what I've been up to, uh, and what the show is about. So with that, I'll remind everybody, uh, if you're out there listening, jump on the Twitter, Twitter and send your questions over to Jill and I. So with that, hello, Jill. Hi, Joe. How's it going? It's going great. So Jill is a seasoned entrepreneur and consultant, uh, collaborative and outgoing. She's always looking for ways to improve efficiencies and effectiveness, both in her business and with those that she consults with. She's a big fan of process that improve output and make things happen. Oftentimes, the best results come through communication and leadership training. She is currently the, CE, the COO of Safe and Group LLC where she and her team are disrupting the collections industry. Safe and Group provides pre-collection services without charging a commission on what's collected. So thank you, Jill. Anything you want to add to that introduction? No, that was, that was wonderful. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to be on your show and, and just get to know you better. It's, it's interesting during your intro and you're talking about your family and your kids and your dogs. I remembered when we first met that that golden doodles that we have more in common than than I remembered walking in here. And so you were talking about your golden doodles, and I likewise have two golden doodles that I absolutely love. And um, it's just it's super fun. If anybody wants the best dog in the world, they should get a golden doodle. <laughs> yeah, they're awesome. And I remember that was at the LinkedIn local event down at Galvanize. Yep. And when we first met, I think you got introduced to me as a dog breeder. Not, not as your professional career uh, working within the collection industry. So I think it took us a few minutes to get on track as to what your real career was. Yeah, and, and, I, and I still don't remember how we got onto that topic with, with the, the group I was talking with. So yeah, it, it's, I guess it's a hobby. So I, I, I like, like that. That's not actually on my LinkedIn profile, which is such a bummer. But like, <laughs> Well, the thing that I thought was the reason why you'd be a great first guest to have on the show is project management is often viewed through the lens of the actual project people are working on. But I like to elevate that and talk about how project management really is an organizational function that's driven by leadership and communication. And I know those are two areas that are really important to you. And as an executive at an organization, right, how does project management fit in to what you do and as, as a leader for your group? Well, I think when you think of project management as far as a 
um, a big whole like monster. You almost think of it that that project management is something that's only going to be happening when you have a big organization or when you have a big, huge project. And when we break it down into its elements, it really comes down to that leadership, that communication, and that that accomplishment of tasks or 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 getting to goals, getting to things that are happening. I'm excited to that you are going to be speaking on Tuesday. You said it was a small, what was the group again? It's the Phoenix Startup. This week. Phoenix Startup. So you have these these companies or people that are starting up businesses. They're they're going into this. Hey, we're going to be entrepreneurs. We're going to make this happen, and oftentimes. They're they're boots on the ground. They can't see the forest for the trees. They're they're like they're just in the thick of it. And so stepping back and consulting with someone like you and and looking at it as far as everything all the way around and how how project management fits into that or how it can come in and help them streamline again, whether that streamlining process is figuring out solutions to problems that are gonna that are gonna come up and gonna arise. So I kind of like the concept of taking it from its whole, breaking it into its parts and then figuring out how all of those little parts are going to fit together. So, which I essentially is what project management is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I did a, a poll. There's a there's a great resource for all of us project managers out there, projectmanagement.com. They have webinars, uh, templates, documents, you name it. Everything you can think of is out there. It allows you also to conduct polls. So I had submitted a poll back in November project management soft skills and what is the most important soft skill that a project manager can use. Uh, we had 375 respondents, so it was a very active poll. We got some really good data. And overwhelmingly, 79% of the people chose communication, right? So uh, the next highest percentage, I think, was 9%, and that was with conflict management and negotiation, which I, I guess I'm certain communication. <laughs> Absolutely. So I know... You're very active and and out there communicating on LinkedIn and other social media platforms. How does communication fit into your everyday life and as a leader within your organization? Well, it's funny because when it comes to communication, you almost try to think back as far as like, where did I, like, where do we learn these skills and how does it all happen? And I think there was a part of Years ago, there was a part of me that always felt like I had to split who I was, right? Like I'm, I'm the mom at home. And then when I go to the work, I'm doing work and I'm the boss. And when I'm not either of those things, then I get to be just like the me that wants to, you know, do crafts, right? So I have all of these like different parts of me. And I'd read the, the parenting books on how to be a better parent. And I'd read the leadership books on how to be a better leader or how to, to, to you know, interact better with my employees or, or how, however that's going to come together. And I realized that all of these books had similar, similar themes throughout them. All of it is being able to communicate. And communicating is nothing more than understanding one another. So we always hear that the best way to communicate is to listen, which is true, Right. But we can't just listen to listen. It, it really comes to the listening to understand and to understand someone. Like when I understand you, I understand the where you're coming from or, or what's what's going on in your brain. I can then either model that or I can decide to say, okay, now what I what can I say to help persuade? What can I say to help to get you? Now I want to say get you on my side, but but help you to to see it my way and and bring that all together. So most of the communication skills and most of the things that that I use in my everyday life and as I'm as I'm working and with my team and with my family is really just this combination of, you know, 
parenting tips and, and, and work, you know, I mean, like, like communication tips and all comes together. So it's, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of just communicating and being able to, that sounded really retarded. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but just being able to, to, uh, figure things out together. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I really don't think there's anything that you can't come together on. I mean, especially if conflict resolution was, was the second one right Mm -hmm. there. Like there's always going to be conflict in life. Like there's never not going to be conflict. And both people on either side of the conflict will always feel like they're right. They always will. They will feel like they're right and the other person's wrong. And so until we can break down the me versus you and like we're in this together, I mean, I mean, unless we're playing on opposite sides of, you know, the Super Bowl, obviously that we're not going to kumbaya. But but when it comes to work, when it comes to family, when it comes to, to personal relationships, there's no me versus you. Like it's a, we are a whole group all together. Yeah. And I think for me, you mentioned separating home from work. So many great lessons I get from our children, right? Because they haven't yet developed a bias of what the workplace will be. Right. So they give you an unfiltered response back to a situation that you never would have thought of because your bias is already at play. So the interaction to me, right, the PMO Joe versus dad, I've challenged with that as well and and say, how do I bring one into the life of the other so that you're really just one person and not two separate personalities? But we are. And and the thing is, though, is that we are all one person. Now, we may decide to have an aspect of our personality be more dominant depending on where we are or how we're interacting. But there really are, there, there's no two Jills. There's not three different Jills out there in the world. Well, there are, but they're not me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so it just comes to like, how do you, you know, how do you kind of own the, this is, this is who I am all the time. And this is the aspect of my personality or the skills that I'm going to use here versus the skills that I'm going to use there. Cause the, you know, the way that I speak to my children and the way that I, I interact with them. Uh, chances are some of those skills are going to overlap at work as far as when I'm dealing with colleagues or when I'm talking to my team or my staff, do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's the, there's the same thing kind of goes around. And I, and it's funny because a lot of the, this is going to sound terrible. A lot of the parenting skills work really well in the office place. Sure. (laughs) And within a project, we we have that same dynamic at play, right? You have team members who you're interacting with on a daily basis. But we often talk to leaders and, and one of the biggest things they complain about with project managers is that they don't have executive level communication, right? They're able to communicate well within their spectrum of teammates, right? but when they have to go to a steering committee to be able to present what's the results of the latest test gate or, or high volume budget or whatever it may be, they stumble and fumble and they're not really sure how to do that communication. So even within your profession, you may have different personas that you have to undertake. And the really good project managers are able to work on those soft skills to be able to take them to the next level. Well, and I think that when we, when we start talking about the soft skills and kind of um, some, of the, some of the tips that I've enjoyed or that I, that I use a lot is going to be asking the questions. Um, you said earlier that you were a natural project manager. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that that's a natural skill for me. I'm probably more the natural salesperson, but I, I, you know, just being an entrepreneur, sometimes you have to wear more hats than than what you're comfortable with, but asking the questions. So when you have a team member that comes to you with some sort of a, a problem, right. Or, or a challenge that there's something that they're coming to you and they need help with it. 
there's two different ways that I would deal with this as far as with my team, kind of depending on the situation. The first one is I would, I would tell them to time out, like, hold on. And I would ask them, do you want me to listen or do you want me to fix it? Because oftentimes a team member is going to come to you, whether it's a, it's a colleague or whether they're coming to you because you're the boss, right? You're mm-hmm. the manager. And sometimes they're coming to you because they, they, they just need to say what's happening. They just need to say like, here you go. And sometimes they need you to fix it. And oftentimes at the very beginning of that conversation, if I know what they expect, right? I know that they want me to fix it or, or at least I have to put on my fix it brain or I know they just want me to listen, then I can, I can respond accordingly. And they, and, and we can now get through this, this conversation with more understanding. I love that. Um, the, the other tip that I love or that I've used is when they do come to you and this isn't going to be a fix it or listen problem, but they're literally just coming. It's their responsibility. For some reason, there's a failure in their responsibility, whether they're having a challenge or whatever, and they're coming to you. And it's, it's not your job. You're, it's not actually your job to fix it. And I, I say that, but I hate to say that. Like, so when someone says, that's not my job, I'm like, I, why are you working here? But um, it's really not my responsibility to fix everything for them. So I realize this kind of counter, counteracts what I just said. But when they come and they're telling me everything, I listen and I'm like, you know what? Yeah, that's a really hard thing. Like you're in a tough situation. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, I think one of the earliest lessons I had learned uh, back in my corporate life, uh, was a gentleman, Terry Jones, a company, and he was a senior vice president. And I was managing a project that he happened to be the executive sponsor on. And I always thought it was extremely awkward how he wouldn't interact until you were done speaking. He was such an active listener. And at first it struck me as odd. And as I started to observe it more, I realized that he was so invested in what the individual was saying that he would be committed to listening and then deciding, right, do I need to fix it or did I just need to listen? Uh, It was a great early lesson in my life. And it's great to hear others talk about the importance of listening and how it impacts them today. No, and it's one of those things that I think it's that one of those soft skills that is often when we're in the thick of it and when we're, you know, I mean, like, honestly, I mean, not like everyone's hair is on fire, but you know what I mean? Like, like you're in the thick of things and here you go. When someone comes to you with a challenge, it's much easier to just spout off what needs to happen and send them on their way. But that's not, that's not what, that's not a leadership skill. Do you know what I mean? A, A manager skill, a manager is someone who, and I'm thinking just leadership versus management. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A manager is going to be the one that tells everybody what to do, lines them all up, everybody does it, and really just kind of does, takes care of everybody. When it comes to a leadership, leadership is going to enable people to make their own choices, to stumble a little bit themselves, right? That they, they're going to say, well, what do you think about that? Like, you just told me your problem, right? If you were in my shoes, what, w- what would you do? What, what would you tell yourself if you were me right now? And you know, it's giving them an opportunity to say, well, I wanted you to tell me this, this, and this. And it's like, okay, well, then there you go. Like, that's what I would say. So move on. Like you, you got this. Yeah. There's a a great uh, quote, right. From Steve jobs, where he says, hire the best people and then empower them to do their job. Right. Right. It's, you don't have five Steve jobs in in a meeting, you have one, but you hired four other really sharp people. And that's a great way to surround yourself with talent that's beyond and above what you have, right? Well, and it, it also goes, you, you take it one step further. You, you hear about these great leaders that they, they hire people that have the skills that they don't have. 
right? They're getting people on their team that are smarter than them in the ways that, that they aren't. So they're filling in all of the little gaps that, that is now going to make the whole group cohesive as a whole versus somebody who feels like, well, I can't hire someone smarter than me because then I won't be the smartest person in the room. Right. Like, I don't, I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. Like I'm usually already the tallest and I'm great there. Like I'm <laughs> fine. Like, <laughs> but, um, but I don't need to be the smartest. I mean, I can, you know, let's, let's let, let's hire the people that are going to get the goal finished and get there the fastest. Another thing I've, I've noticed uh, out on LinkedIn, you've been doing a lot of video series uh, work out there and something that I think is great, uh, do it like you mean it, right? <laughs> that, I, I just love that. And where did that come from? Okay, so this, this goes back to, to being a mom. Um, I was actually in charge of, um, we, I, I was in charge of a whole bunch of 12 and 13-year-old girls. And, um, it was this activity that we had put together with our church and we had them all, all there. And it was, it was a week long. It was a week long thing. It was a camp that we were doing and there were challenging aspects or things that we had to do to kind of, you know, it's, I mean, it's the break it down, build them up type thing, but we just didn't break them down all that much. We just built them up. And some of the things that we were doing were really challenging. And so for these 12 and 13 year olds, they're like, oh, like I just, that's, it's too hard. I can't do it. And finally, instead of sitting there and, and just, I said, no guys, come on, we're going to do it. Like we mean it. Like, like if, if we're here and we're going to, we're going to do it like we mean it. And I said that over and over, come on, do it. Like you mean it, like, like shovel, like you mean it, or like whatever the activity was that we were doing, it was like, you mean it. And, um, it really hit home for me because it was probably about two or three weeks after we'd come back from this, this week long thing. And we were all getting around and Savannah, who I think she's 16 now but she was the teeny tiniest little 12 year old, like cutest little thing in the whole world. And she was like, come on guys, we're going to do this. Like we mean it. And she's literally saying back to me what I had just told everybody for all, all week. And I was like, Oh, they, they're listening like, and, and they're, they're doing this. Um, my children also actually do this. I posted on LinkedIn, a, uh, a picture that's on my front door still. Um, I'll send you the picture if it's going to help, but <laughs> our doorbell broke about a year and a half ago. So you, you, you ding dong, you know what I mean? It doesn't, yeah. doesn't do anything. There is a sign, a handwritten sign taped to my screen door and it says doorbell broken. Please knock like you mean it. <laughs> and my, great. and my daughter made it and she put it up there. And I mean, I was, I, I love it. It's my favorite thing ever, because if you think about it, just you know, in life in general, when we come up to an obstacle and we're ringing the doorbell and nobody hears us like knock, like, like I want in, like, I want this opportunity. I'm going to knock like I mean it. And so, um, so doing it like you mean it is really just kind of empowering. It's, it's almost the opposite of fake it till you make it right. Cause fake it till you make it is everyone's, you know, I mean, I, I used to be a big fan of fake it till you make it because I thought, yeah, you know, you just keep doing it until you really, finally you're going to get there but I still feel like we're faking it. Do you know what I mean? Like we don't really feel like we're there internally if we're faking it. But now if we do it like we mean it, like how, and we're committed to it and, you know, we're going to make this happen. Um, I think that's kind of where the difference is. So, so that, that's where, that's how that all came about. And my little mantra lately. <laughs> yeah, that, that ties in great to what we talked about at the AZ Tech Council Lunch and Learn earlier this week with project management. There's so many organizations today uh, that do project management, but they're faking it till they make it, right? <laughs> they're not, they're not doing it like they mean it. 
And what we really want to do is there's so much data. Uh, PMI, again, the Project Management Institute, puts out a yearly survey and the results, the pulse of the profession. And the data in the pulse of the profession clearly gives us the path of how to be better project managers. Executive sponsorship, tying projects to strategy, having a culture that adopts project management uh, and more, right? And organizations today that have project managers, but don't ask the organization to follow project management practices and then split up the teams into, we're going to do project management and marketing different than the way we do it in IT. And then we're going to do it differently when we get to our accounting processes. And we're going to do it different when we get to sales projects. If you have four different project methodologies within one organization, you're faking it till you make it, right? If you're going to do it like you mean it, you buy in and you say, we're going to have an enterprise project management office. We're all going to do project management the same way at this company. We're going to tie it to our strategy and we're going to go execute as a company that is all in on project management. So we find it all the time when we're talking with our clients, the same thing you just talked about, right? The the translation of how do I in the corporate world take fake it like you make it and put it on the shelf and get people to really buy in to let's do this project management. Let's not just say it. Let's not give it lip service. Well, let's actually put it to work. And the results are pretty staggering once they do that. Well, I mean, the reason why the results are going to be staggering is because now you have everybody on the same page. Like everybody in the company is committed to the same end goal. And we all know what the strategy is to get there, right? right. And in my you know, bubble of, of working with, because I mean, right, right now in my career, I'm working with that accounting aspect, right? So working with them, it's like, hey, this is, the, this is a strategy. Here's the process that you're going to go through. So then we meet this whole entire company strategy while at the same time, the, the sales team is getting there too, right? You know, mm-hmm. your, your, your R&D is still going to the, that same place. And when everybody's doing that, first of all, if everyone's on, you know, if everyone's committed to this, we're all communicating in the same way. Because if you think about it, if we're all doing different project management strategies, we're all, dis- we're all communicating differently, whether we're using different software, whether it's just different terms and phrase, you know, different things mean different things. Absolutely. And so coming all together, oh yeah, obviously they're going to see results Yeah, and bring it all together. We had talked about, um, I'd asked some questions during that session and folks were telling us about uh, the fact that they don't even have software to help them collect data in project management. There's so much good software. And we, yeah. <laughs> and we would ask about, well, how about your CRM system? How, do your, how does your sales team track their performance towards their goals for the end of the year, right? We want to increase sales 20%. Well, they have a CRM system and they capture that data and they can tell whether or not they're doing it. But with project management, if you don't have a system, how can you tell, right? If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. How are you going to know if you're actually improving or not? So if you have a, a goal for the year to, we're going to improve project performance 20%. Well, we, how, how will you know? We need a baseline. That's right. We need to know where, we're, maybe we'll just feel warm and fuzzy at the end of the year and think we did good. Well, yeah. <laughs> so if you're going to do it like you mean it, we need to get consistent process. We need to have a system in place to be able to measure. And smaller companies, it doesn't have to be a fancy tool, right? I mean, you can, as long as you have a measurement system, whether it's a spreadsheet, whether or not it's a free tool that you can get online, something in place to be able to help you be consistent. Right. Okay, cool. Great conversation. Just want to remind everybody that out on Twitter, if you send a tweet with hashtag PMO Joe, that'll come across to us. 
we'll be able to uh, take a look at that and see if we can ask your question or read your comment online. This is the first time I think we've done this here in the Phoenix Business Radio X studio. So it's a bit of an experiment, and we just want to throw it out to our listeners. Since there's no call-ins, we want to make sure that we are engaging and interactive so that you have a chance to have a voice in our show. So one question I have, Jill, I've never been a COO at a company other than my own, and it's just been uh, the PMO, PMO squad where I've been. How, from an executive leadership where you have a group of employees working for you on a non-project management service, right? You're providing a service other than project management. Do you get your team engaged to actually execute projects towards your goals and your vision as a leader? I think I think any organization that you're in, um, I think, yes, you do have to. Yes, I do, as far as getting everybody engaged and everybody on the same page. Whether that, again in their respective um in their respective roles and the things that they have to do. So a couple of years ago, an example was I was um I was working in an organization that had acquired another organization. So again, it was we were putting two things together and making it all happen. And a lot of the team was transitioning to different responsibilities. Now as much as it wasn't project management, there was still that everyone, you know, we now have to put together a new strategy, a new way place that the company is going. We need everybody to, to buy in for lack of a better word to our, our next step and how we're all going to grow and do this together. Um, I think it's unfortunate to work somewhere and just show up and work and leave and not feel passion for, and passion is maybe the wrong word, not have any caring at all for what you're accomplishing. And so I really think it's important that my team and my staff care about what we're doing, how we're helping, how we're helping our clients, how we're helping and giving back to the community, how we're helping just, just in, in our little spectrum of what we're doing, that everybody can feel engaged in making that happen. So it's not a matter of, you know, just the executives saying this is going to happen and, and, and here you go. Like you can make an announcement all day long, but it really comes down to getting getting down there and getting boots, you know, getting boots on the ground and being, being one of everybody. I I just, the, the concept of having a a COO and executive, you, you said that, that sometimes project managers have a hard time coming in and reporting to higher level executives. And, and honestly, how unfortunate that those executives aren't coming down and talking with the project managers. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it, it goes both ways. And so when you, when you think about how we're going to take an organization and how we're going to organically bring everyone together and take, you know, we're, we're all in this together. Like I can't do this all by myself. Right. Well, and the, the project most likely started from a desire or request from that executive, right? Cause usually the projects are, are projects because they're the most important thing. It's a temporary endeavor that we're doing to implement a new service, a new product. Right. Right. And it's most likely driven by the executive. The data out there, again, clearly shows that the number one driver of project success is an actively engaged executive sponsor. So to your point, right, if the executive sponsors weren't waiting for a project manager to come give a report, but were actively seeking out that data and helping project managers clear obstacles, uh, avoid, help them avoid the risks and issues that are typical in a standard project, I think the success rates would really go up and project management would benefit from those sponsors. And, and it's great to hear a leader within an organization say, hey, the onus is on us. 
right? We can't just wait for the project manager to come to us. We need to be engaging with them. We we do. And but but project managers, you're still gonna find yourself with a with a project sponsor that doesn't that doesn't understand this, that doesn't see the whole like like, you know, I'm as an executive, I'm gonna hire a project manager, I'm gonna set him loose, and then he's gonna come back and tell me how it goes. And if that project manager sets the expectation early on that no, you're part of this whole process, right? Like the executive gets to have just as much, you know, buy-in to the whole thing and involvement. Now, maybe not as much time as, as the team, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But at least when it comes to the communication and the understanding and the feedback and the, the being part of that, that if the project manager is going to invite, I say invite in air quotes, like, you know, you invite someone to sit down, like, yeah. <laughs> um, I know what that's like. <laughs> oh, my husband calls it being voluntold. So yeah, I think we've all been there. Yeah, right. But but really just kind of it's it's that leading from the bottom, if that makes sense. So that's a, a good project manager that's really gonna have that good leadership skill and that good communication skill is gonna set that expectation really early on for that sponsor executive to where it can go smoothly. We're not waiting around for one person to come to the other person. That it's like, no, no, we're we're all, you know, we're gonna do it like we mean it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what challenges do you see working with project managers, right? Because this show is all about helping project managers across the world because it's internet radio. So we can be tuned in from India or, or wherever. How can we get input from an executive on how we can do better at our job, right? How can we advance our profession to make sure that we're doing what we need to? And like you're saying, right, it's the do it like you mean it. It's engage your executive sponsors. But has there been anything that you've consistently seen uh, through your executive lens over the years that perhaps maybe there's something there to share with project managers that can help us? I think I think back to a couple of years ago where we we had brought in a project manager specifically for for a task that we were putting together, and being one of the team members, you know what I mean, as far as as far as executive team, as far as putting seeing everything that he was going through and doing that. Um, he did a really great job of of just communicating clear expectations. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? He he was he was all about like let's let's talk this through. Let's make sure everyone's on the same page. Let's not. He wasn't he wasn't full of hype. He wasn't sitting there and promising the world, and then then suddenly everyone had to jump to hit this this you know whatever had to happen. And he did a really good job of he was very personable. He understood people really well he did a great job of making everybody feel like he cared. And it didn't matter where you were on the team or as an executive, you had value to bring to this whole thing. And so he was very personable. As much as project managers are coming in and dealing with the nitty gritty, I think 85 to 90% of project management is people management. Is And I don't even know if that's an actual real world. I just made that up. But it really... But it's based on experience and what you've felt, right? And, right? and we as project managers out there don't often get a chance to sit at the table after the project and get input as to what we can do better, right? right? So you heard it here first on project management office hours <laughs> from an executive, all you PMs out there listening, right? Personality, personable, being open, being approachable are super important to running a project and being an effective project manager. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it really comes down to being able to relate to people, 
and, and, and empathize with them. So if you can empathize with people on any level of that project, and I realize this is like the girl in me that's coming out and most project management, I don't think that we have a whole lot of women in the realm. So all of you men out there that are listening, and there's probably a lot, you need to put on your, you know, pink hat because, <laughs> but we need to empathize with everybody in the, in the grand scheme. Would we want someone to be on our side and we want them to be, um, uh, we want them to be able to follow this plan that we've put together, right? Like we need everybody engaged. We're going to be able to do that a whole lot better when people want to be engaged because of us, right? They want to be part of the team because we make them feel good about themselves. And I'm not talking fluff. I'm not talking, oh my goodness, your hair looks so pretty today. I mean, on an actual personal level, like like they they could become your friend if, if we weren't working on this project. And that's where you're going to see a lot of success. That's where you're going to see a lot of people coming together and wanting to support you and wanting to like, well, yeah, I really like, I really like this guy. He is a wonderful, he's great. What can I do to help him? Where, how do I go the extra mile? And, and you do that by, by really opening up and, and being yourself and, and just working on that, that empathy. Um, there's plenty, there's so many communication books and, and different ways, you know, what is it? The, of course it fell out of my brain. Um, persuasion books, um, books on just kind of getting people. I mean, it's just, a, there's that relationship personality, any of those things. If, if you feel like that's something you struggle with, as far as just getting to getting people, not everybody can just, this happens. There are so many people that are just the logical brain. They want to walk in. They want to say what needs to happen. Everything should just happen the way it's supposed to. I totally agree. I think that should be life. Well, it's kind of like, I'm just a project <laughs> manager. I'm not a salesperson, right? But in my business, I have still have to go do sales. Right. So I'm really good at one and I'm struggling at another, right? It's, it's, we have our strengths and you need to surround yourselves that can, with people that can help there. Yeah. But I, I'm a big believer in if you have, if you know what you have a weakness in and a weakness doesn't mean it's bad. Like a weakness is like, it's just not something you're as good at compared to other things. Well, guess what? You can get better. Sure. All skills are learned. Like even empathy, even being able to, to relate with people that it can be a learned skill. It's innate in a lot of people, but you can learn how to do it and you can be much better at it. And for all of you guys that are rolling your eyes that it's going to take so much time to talk to people and to get to know them. And you know what I mean? You're, you're, that's, we're talking time. Like we are investing time, but on the back end, when it comes to people that are willing to just jump up for you when you need them and things are going to happen, it is so worth it. Like sure, invest, in, yeah, yeah. invest in the people early on and, and see how that pays off at the end. You had mentioned another thing there at the beginning of that about setting expectations. And it, it brought me back to high school baseball. Um, so I'm just a sports nut, right? I, I love all sports and I played baseball. That was my number one go-to. And when I made it to the varsity team for the first time, our coach, I had mentioned him earlier, Coach Gold, had handed out playbooks to everybody on the team. And I'd never been on a team before where there was a baseball playbook, right? It's, you, you it's think baseball. in football, right? <laughs> and I was the catcher. Uh, so I was kind of the quarterback of the team. But every position in the playbook had a role and a responsibility of how to perform when the ball was hit to a certain spot in the field. And what that did is it built for the third baseman, whether he was the starter or the sub, an expectation of where the shortstop would be when a ball was hit out into the left center field gap. And the third baseman didn't need to understand or think at the time. It just got drilled into them of what to do. 
I don't know how many teams have those sorts of playbooks or not, but we won 20 games in a row at one point during the season. And we were certainly not the most talented team in the league that we were playing uh, within, but we were the most disciplined and we knew how to execute and we knew where each other was going to be and we had built trust. And it was because those expectations got set. And I've always carried with me now a playbook for every project that we execute because it sets expectations. You no longer have to worry about uh, is the executive going to be in a steering committee meeting because you've set expectations that they will be there? Or will team members deliver status reports every Thursday because you've set expectations, right? You've built that project playbook just like we had a baseball playbook. So to hear, right, another executive talk about that, it triggers a thought within my brain as a project manager. How can I connect the two? And again, for project managers listening out there, as you're hearing these discussions when we have leaders on, project management office hours, really, how can you personalize and take something from your life that may not be project management related, but put it into the context of project management and see where there's a benefit? Because it may make it more natural and easy for you to use at that point. So great conversation to this point. Again, want to remind everybody that we have Twitter active out there. If you use hashtag PMOJoe, We'll get those responses and be able to read those questions or comments on air. So we look forward to what you have to say for Jill or I. Uh, Another area I had mentioned at the beginning was mentoring. And I just wanted to touch base with you, Jill, and see how mentoring has played a part in your life or, or not. And if it has, what you can tell us about your experiences. Well, I, yes, yes and no. So let me say that. I, I think mentoring as far as an official, here is a mentor, here's someone who's going to come and, and guide you in certain aspects of your life. Um, I haven't had very many official mentors, like someone that says, let me hold your hand down this, down this part. But I have had lots of people in my life that were open and that shared and that were willing to say, oh, you like, let me, let me explain this to you. You have, you have this, you know, challenge that you're working on. Well, this is what we did. And this is how we came to that. Um, or how we, we finished or how we got to the end. So you can tell I'm, I'm super shy and, (laughs) um, and I don't, I don't talk a lot, (laughs) but, um, but the concept of just being able to share the knowledge that we have and being able to get out there and, and help the people that are around us. And oftentimes you're going to find, at least I have found that the people that have helped me have been totally outside of the realm of what I thought that it would be. It's, it's usually somebody that I would never have gone to and said, Hey, I need help with, I need help with this. And, and, but, but it, because it can cross relate, you know what I mean? Absolutely. They can share an experience with me that they're having and, and then I can turn around and I'm like, my goodness, I can relate that to, to my family life, to my kids, or I can relate that to this challenge that I'm having at work or to be able to help this project along. Or I didn't even know that was a, that was, that's an app. Like that app can help me over here. And so, uh, when it comes to official mentoring, I don't have as much experience when it comes to just sharing what what we have and the information that, that is in your brain. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, you know what you know, but I don't know what you know. And it's not until we, we start building those relationships and just talking and being people and humans that suddenly it's like, Oh, I, I, I would love to hear more about how you do that. And sometimes it's not going to relate exactly to what I want, but it's all going to come together. Like it all connects, you know? Yeah. I think for me, the informal mentoring, Mm -hmm. 
goes deeper, right? Because it touches us personally. Whereas the professional mentoring is almost has an objective to it that it's trying to help us professionally. Uh, and it certainly may rub into our personal lives as well. But when you don't seek it out and it comes to you, it, it goes deeper. It certainly reminds me of one of my favorite books of all time. And I am not a big reader. So as you get to know me, I won't reference too many books in my life. But the one that really has hit home the most for me is a book by Denzel Washington, of all people. And it's called A Hand to Guide Me. And what Denzel Washington has done is really, he wrote his chapter on how mentoring has helped him in his life, uh, with the Boys and Girls Club when he was growing up, and what it meant for him to help him get to where he needed to go. And he asked celebrities, politicians, athletes, entertainers, others, there's about 70 or 75 of them, I think, to write a letter to him. And in that letter, they talk about how mentoring has been important to them. So again, a lot of those stories were informal mentoring relationships. Some of them were formal where it was set up, but uh, you have athletes, you know, Jimmy Carter, I think, wrote one of the letters in. Uh, so, so high name recognition individuals participated with Denzel Washington on that story. And as I was reading those, it made me recall moments in my life where I didn't know I was being mentored at the time, or maybe I was mentoring at the time, but it brought back those thoughts that deep down inside, I had learned some valuable lessons from others, not even knowing that I was trying to learn a lesson. So I, I think uh, the fact that you haven't had many of those formal programs doesn't matter, right? It's the openness that you talked about to, to be a participant informally. Well, and yeah, to be the participant informally, but I just, I love, this is, sounds dumb. I love giving advice to strangers. I, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. well, it depends how much of a stranger they are, I guess. No, like I was at Home Depot like three or four weeks ago and I was walking down the aisle and there was a couple that was standing and they're, they're looking at the doggy doors that go into sliding glass doors, right? Sure. And the husband makes a comment that it doesn't look like it's very safe. Like it does, it just doesn't look very secure. And I stop and I say, well, actually my friend down the street they put it onto the other side. So they actually, the, the door, the sliding glass door that doesn't move, they unhinged it, they moved it, they put the doggy door on the other side and then locked it back into place. So then it wasn't, you know, I mean, it wasn't like the security issue anymore. And then they were able to just use their sliding glass door normally. And then I walked on and he was like, that's such a great idea. I mean, I heard that in the back and I just, I mean, in inside, I'm just smiling because, you know, I mean, unless you Google something or unless you hear something, unless you see it, like there's some things in life that aren't just going to show up. And, and that's the kind of stuff that, that I get a kick out of. I get a kick out of when someone just out of the blue tells me, well, have you thought of this or have you done this? And so I, I do that. And my, my kids give me grief that I just talk to literally strangers, but I, I love it. And so I, I just smile at them and they are turning into me though. Cause my daughter told me about how a good friend of hers was having an emotional crisis and she sat down and she says, mom, I said this and I said this and I said this. And I'm like, you're turning into me. She's like, I know. <laughs> well, it's, it's active listening and being able to recognize, am I supposed to be just listening now or am I trying to fix it? Right. Right. And uh, so that's a great message that you've shared with our audience today. I really appreciate that. Uh, I, again, I, I want to go back to the mentoring just to give our listeners some more information. I had done a, another poll out on the projectmanagement.com website back in November. Uh, and ask that question, are you a regular participant in mentoring programs? And interestingly enough, uh, the majority answers on this one was, yes, they do it through work. 
But as the mentor, there were very few people. There were only two votes uh, out of uh, the population there that said they were mentees. So I kind of put a challenge out there to our listeners to say, if you are somebody that isn't actively seeking out somebody to help you grow, either personally or professionally, aside from the, the informal, you should seek out a mentor. And don't be afraid to go ask. Because what I have found is every time someone's asked me to be a mentor for them, I've always said yes. Right? How do you not want to help others that are seeking out help? Um, and again, it doesn't have to be a formal thing. It could be let's grab lunch and let's talk about some things. But we want to make sure that we're, we're putting ourselves out there to be able to help people. No, and I, and I think the formal thing, I mean, you, you, coming, coming back to mentors, it was just a couple of weeks ago that um, I was part of a, a business class. And part of the curriculum was for us to ask for a mentor. And so I did. I reached out to somebody that I, I respect and admire, asked him to be my mentor. And he did. He said yes. And then I, I, I need to call him now because I haven't followed up. It's been a couple of weeks. I'm like, oh, I didn't mean to leave you hanging. Like, I still want to do this. And I want and I reached out to him because I wanted I want to just help and guidance when it comes to um, some of the things that I'm seeing him do in his business that I see as successful. And, and I want to be able to model that. And I think the easiest way to do that is to really go right to him and say, well, what's your thought process? How are you doing this? Like, I would love to, to be able to model this and be part of, you know, be able to be part of that. So I guess uh, kind of last question I have for you at this point is what final tips or advice do you have for people in the project management field, whether they're junior project managers or maybe even more senior project managers? But wearing your executive hat, right? If you're the client, if you're the person they're providing that service to, what is it that you want from them? How can we help them be successful? I want them, I want them to be able to come in and be real. And that's, that's I'm going to explain a little bit more. I want them to be able to come in and, and use all of the skills that, that I know that they have. The reason I hired them, right? Like they came in and they were able to show me everything. I want them to be able to come in and use all of those skills and make everything happen um, the way they they sold me on that. But at the same time, I want at the end of this project, I want them to be my friend. And maybe friend on more of a business level. Do you know what I mean? It's not like they're going to come sure. to birthday parties. Yeah. Um, I mean, they could. They could. We have a lot of them at our house. But um, They could plan the party real well for you. <laughs> they probably could. <laughs> but I want them to be able to to be the real them. I want them to, to have that when they come in and they're part of our organization, that they are part of our organization. I realize they're only going to be here for a little while and so do they. But if they come into it with a, this is just temporary mindset, then there will be a disconnect. We won't, we won't be able to communicate as effectively. We're not going to be able to get things done as effectively because the relationship doesn't need to be a real relationship because they're going to leave. Now, if they come in, and they're committed as if they were actually working with me forever, right? With this mindset of that is this continued relationship. The key here is that this probably is not the only project I'm ever going to need, right? That's right. So when I do need the next project, I'm going to call my friend who comes to birthday parties, right? By the way, you don't have to come to my parties. <laughs> um, but but that would be that would be my advice is to just really um, de- 
set yourself up to be focused on that personal, the empathy, the communication, the, the bringing the, the people, people aspect to it and seeing the success that comes from that. Cause all the technical aspect, all the timing, all of the software, all of the, you know, directing the, the playbooks, all of that stuff is all going to fall into place. It's that personal level that you bring that is going to set you apart that nobody else can bring. You know what I mean? That's, that is your competitive edge. And that's what's going to bring me back to coming back to you the next time I need it. Well, I want to thank you so much, Jill, for coming on today, being our first guest. And I think we really learned some valuable insights today from an executive that can be important for us as project managers, right? We need to be real. I think it's valued. I think we know that deep down inside, but sometimes it's hard for us to be real when we get out there in front of an executive. A lot of people are overwhelmed by that. Active listening. Uh, is super critical and super important and knowing when to fix it versus when to just listen, right? I think that's super important. Also being able to set expectations and be able to do well with your communications and do it like you mean it. I think that's the biggest (laughs) takeaway for me, right? If we're out there, we're committing our time, we're committed to our profession and helping others with, with our project execution, right? Do it like you mean it. I love that. So thank you so much for being on today. Thank you so much for everybody out there listening in. We really appreciate it. This is a reminder that uh, Project Management Office Hours will be airing the first and third Thursdays at noon every month. So our next show will be on March 1st. We've got a couple of great healthcare industry project management leaders scheduled for that. So we look forward to hearing uh, from you then. So that's it for now. Office hours are now closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to the Project Management Office Hours, our retrospective on project management lessons learned. Mm -hmm.